You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Today we'll be in the 32nd Psalm. Again, short of our, what we kind of worked into a summer of psalm series, taking a bit of a break from John. Today it's a psalm of forgiveness. It's one of the most important spiritual topics we can talk about. A subject absolutely vital in the gospel. And we'll go back and we'll note the treatment of it in the Old Testament. Before we begin, we'll note a couple of things, technical details. First, it has a heading, a mascal of David. A mascal is a type of music we are pretty sure. Some 18 or 19 times it appears in the headings of, uh, of the Psalms. We think it means uh, possibly a sad uh, type music or a, uh, a somber music because most of the time, nearly always, that it uh, appears it's, that would be the it's somber subject matter. This one, not necessarily so. So a little bit. Possibly a variation there. We'll note uh, we have three different times Selah, which means pause. We're not sure if that meant pause for a musical interlude as the orchestra in the temple played on and you thought about it. Or it was just a pause for, for thought and consideration. We'll take it as a pause for thought and consideration. And one more thing. And we haven't talked about this in our prior two psalms. But there are so many psalms where the key of understanding the psalm is right in the middle. There's a center key. Uh, So, for instance, the uh, Psalm 23, probably the most familiar psalm to us. What is the key thought of Psalm 23 if you were to to summarize in, in one sentence? Well, right in the middle of Psalm 23, it says, Thou art with me. And if you, if you put thou art with me as, you could almost put that as an interlude between every single line of Psalm 23. It's uh, pretty obvious that that's the key thought of the psalm, that God is with me. And it's expressed as him being my shepherd and all the other things. But uh, the center in so many psalms is the key. Well, our center of this psalm, since it's 11 verses, we just sort of look right in the middle first. The center of this psalm, and I think the key is the beginning of verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you. And if we pair that with the line right above, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let everyone who's godly offer a prayer to you. We're going to have Psalm 32 figured out. And everything else I'm going to say is just going to be some explanation or encouragement in that vein. That he forgives our iniquity, and so the godly ones offer a prayer to God. As we go through the psalm, we'll find it in four parts. Of forgiveness, of the weight of sin, confession and prayer, and by this we're instructed out of folly. So that'll be our four parts. Let's read the psalm. Blessed is the one 
whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surrounded me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by bit and bridle, or will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we pray you'd bless us with forgiveness. Cover our sins, count not our iniquities. Help us to acknowledge and confess our sin, that we may escape the weight of it, that we may not stubbornly hide it. Through Jesus, let us be acceptable. In spite of our sins, we pray. Amen. This, in so many ways, is a very Christian psalm. I know that all of the psalms are preparing the way and leading to Christ. But this psalm is quoted in the book of Romans. This psalm is given as way of explanation of how it is that the gospel system of salvation by faith works. We have this threefold description again. Blessed is the one. Blessed is. We mentioned in our last study, Psalm 2, where there was the, the blessed man, uh, the, or excuse me, Psalm 1. Blessed was the, the one who didn't walk with uh, sinners or sit with the scoffers or stay with the wicked. And we said that the Psalms would often teach us in what we in the New Testament would call Beatitudes, blessed are. And so that blessed man of Psalm 1-1 was the first. This is now actually the second. This is the second time we see this blessed is construction that Jesus made so famous on the Sermon on the Mount. And here we have a double blessing. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord does not count iniquity. So like Psalm 1, it's a threefold description. Sin is covered, forgiven, and not counted. Now, in the New Testament, we'll extend this. Uh, we'll have a lot more ways to describe forgiveness of pardon and ransom, of washing, 
of removal, of being taken out of the way. There's a lot of different ways the way of salvation is described. But this verse in particular is quoted, and these two verses, uh, all of verse 1 and half of verse 2, in Romans 4. There again, the Apostle Paul is speaking about salvation by faith in Christ. He used Abraham as the example of salvation by faith, saying in Romans 4, beginning in verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom the Lord credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take to account. And so in our system of salvation by faith in Christ, it's exactly the same as the Apostle Paul does quote this psalm, as this psalm says. And I think we could say just about everything in this psalm is a Christian psalm. There's nothing of Old Testament ritual in it. There's nothing of Old Testament forms, but there's a faith and forgiveness and prayer. How do we live today? This is how it is we live. And so what we note is that salvation, justification, is to us credited. It's credited partly because, and in fact because our sins are not counted, or the old translations there would say imputed or possibly reckoned. And so when the ledgers are counted up, there's things we count, and then there's things we don't. And the Lord, thankfully, counts us as righteous, and he does that in part by not counting our sins against us. He knows we've done those sins, but having forgiven them, having covered them, he doesn't count them. Again, he certainly knows that we did it. Uh, think about this prophecy of Jeremiah 31. We'll read it in the quotation of Hebrews 8, 11, and 12. It says about the, in the new covenant, they will not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest. I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. He remembers our sins no more. They are forgiven. They are part of the past. They are covered. They are dealt with in Christ. We think about this from another psalm, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. What is it for mercy? What are we asking for? If you, O Lord... Should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. We'll note a couple of things there. The Lord is praised and thanked for not marking iniquity. Imagine if uh, 
Now, the Lord follows us around like uh, judges do at some high-end shows of things. I, the other day was watching a, a dog show. They put those on in the summertime sometimes, and they're better than most of anything else that's on. And uh, they, they showed, uh, of all things, a basset hound doing the dog agility test. I got to say, it was great fun to watch. He didn't score too well, but it was great fun to watch. But as the basset missed a couple of the technical elements, imagine that, in this agility test, you saw the judge standing there with the little notebook. You saw the judge making the tally marks. And he didn't have a clean run. And when you're in that kind of competition, you got to have a clean run. Or you think about where they're judging the dogs and deciding which one is the champion dog and the show dog. Just what kind of minute things that no normal human would know to look for do the judges actually mark down on? Or when people, you know, any, any kind of highly technical uh, thing where judgment is being passed. Uh, uh, I understand in some of the universities around here in this part of the world, you know, they have pretty good meat judging teams. You know, I, I don't know that I do very well at meat judging. I'd probably be full by the first table, wouldn't be able to go on. Maybe I don't understand how that works, but do you bring your own grill or do they provide one for you at the meat judge? And same with land judging and other kind of judging. Well, there's guys out there with the clipboards. And just every kind of little thing they're marking and noting. Picture now the Lord, and some picture I think the Lord this way. Going through our lives and hanging over us with his clipboard and his little notebook. What are you marking down there? Oh, don't worry about it. What are you marking? What are you? You know, think about the, the youngster taking his driving exam. Over in the other seat, there's the guy with the clipboard, and you hear the pencil scratching, you go, oh boy. Well, what if that's your view of God, looking at us in our lives? I mean, it's unnerving enough to the young one just trying to pilot a car through a city street, much less us trying to pilot our lives through this veil of sorrows, this travail of tears below. Imagine if our view is that God is there always... Marking everything down and counting it all against us. How would we stand? Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities. Oh Lord, who should stand? Well, none of us would. Because what have all of us done? We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the marvel of God that he doesn't count all that against us. This is the very purpose of his son coming. Bearing the sins of the world, taking away the sins of the world, destroying the works of the devil. 2 Corinthians 5.19, this summary of the gospel. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed us to this word of reconciliation. Our sins separated between us and God. And he through Christ, reconciles us back to him, doing what? Not counting all of those things. Not remembering them all. Covering them. Forgiving them. As it says in the proverb, Proverb 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search a matter out. You know, there's the difference between the economies of heaven and the economies of men. When, when there is a wrong done, 
When there's a harm done, authorities need to find it out. Authorities need to bring it to light. Authorities need to punish it. And when they don't, when they just sweep crime and harm and oppression under the rug, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? It's horrible. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. But when it comes to standing before God, God already knows all those things. He doesn't have to search them out. He already knows what was done. And in justice, he'll take care of it unless it's dealt with how? By being forgiven and covered and not counted. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. You know, he deals with people that he knows are guilty. The law deals with people as it investigates a crime. Is this person guilty or not? And we really want them to get that right, don't we? We want them to get the guilty ones, and we really don't want them to get the innocent ones. We don't want to sweep up everybody in the street. Sometimes in frustration, what do we say? Just take them all. No, we really want them to get the crime committers. We really want them to get the guilty. And we really want them to leave the innocent alone. But in the case where God is dealing with man and judging him, who's the innocent one? Who's the one not under penalty? Who's the one not under justice? And so God is in a different position. He already knows all things and will call all things to account in holiness unless it is forgiven. And since we will all be condemned by his holiness, by our, our unholiness, it is a glory to him to conceal, to cover, forgive. And in Christ we have this message that reconciliation is given and the sins that were done are not counted. Thanks be to God. All right, back to our psalmist now. He saw the blessedness of having his sin forgiven. He goes back and thinks of when his sin wasn't forgiven. He goes back and thinks about when his sin wasn't covered. Oh, he was not blessed then. For when I kept silent. See, we're glad when God, after we confess, keeps the matter silent and brings it up no more. But what if we haven't dealt with it yet? What if we're just hiding? We're hiding out. We're hiding out in our sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. We've looked out there at the grass this last week, right? I look out the door, look out the window, look at it when I go out to the car. Do I need to cut it? No. You know, I've had that same answer for about three weeks. Haven't need to cut the lawn. Why? It can't grow. If I do cut it, it'll just, well, I'll just get rid of what little green is on top and I'll just be back down to the brown again. No, the heat of summer is taking, taking it to them. Well, that's, what's, that's what sin does to us. It dries us up. It makes us miserable. It's a heavy weight upon us. How much do we long for? Just a little shower. If it did rain a little shower, what would we do? Unlike normal, we wouldn't go inside and rush in. 
We'd probably stay out in the yard and enjoy it. No, we need that time of refreshing because like the grass out there in the yard today, it's waste, we're wasting away in sin. There's groaning and there's heaviness. And this is when we wonder, how do the wicked live? Day and night they're afflicted by this. Day, I guess, they can distract themselves some. They've got work to do or maybe other evil to go engage in. Maybe in the evening they can pop a top and drink something or smoke something that'll help them forget. But sometime or another, doesn't there have to be a quiet moment with their guilty conscience? Doesn't there have to be a time before they've gone to sleep or when they wake up in the middle of the night, when that guilty conscience is their only company, that guilty conscience that needs no accuser or no tormentor but itself, that, that's what it's there for. Romans chapter 2, talking about those who didn't have the law but showed the work of, of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts, alternatively excusing or accusing them. Some translations accusing or defending. You know, and the thing is, even though you might justify a lot, nobody, unless you're a total sociopath, can justify everything. Everybody's got to realize there's some things that have been not right. There's some things I did wrong. There's some serious matters in which, yeah, that wasn't good. What do you do? And John talked about in 1 John 3, God who's greater than our hearts knows all things, but still our heart condemns us. What do you do when you're under that kind of condemnation? And sometimes we wonder, why do people act so poorly when, when a thing is just brought up? Or what set them off? Or why do they go off like that? Or what's wrong with them? Or any kind of other figure like that, where we try to get some grasp on why it is these people are acting so poorly and acting so out of sorts and sometimes so out of proportion to what happened immediately in front of them, well, it's because their heart condemns them. They live under condemnation. What do you do with unconfessed and unrepented of and unforgiven sin? What do you do with that? I remember a few years ago, I, I don't know if I saw all of this movie or not. If I did, it didn't, re, it didn't uh, stick real good. But I remember the title, one of these new modern-ish, of course, I don't, maybe so long ago now it's not modern, but uh, in my frame of reference. It's one of these new kind of grizzly-ish uh, westerns. And it was called Unforgiven. Again, I don't remember the movie, but I remember the title. And just think about what a horrible life you know you know something bad is going to happen right and you know something bad is going to it's, it's grizzly western they're all something bad is going to happen they can't all be like pale rider you know where the preacher gets to be the hero right around the white horse shooting people and blowing them up right pale rider one of my favorite movies can't all be that can't be all good like that but some kind of grizzly thing is happening and it's going to be worse before it gets better and because there's some kind of thing that has to be dealt with because of this horrible concept it was the title of the film, Unforgiven. What a terrible way to live, right? There's no way that's a happy movie. There's no way that's going to be about a cheerful subject. 
What do you do when you're in that life that the psalmist declares is groan-inducing, is strength-sapping, is a heavy-handed pressing down upon you with the weight of God under his conviction that something is dreadfully wrong? What do you do? Well, most people just persist trying to ignore it, often hating life and everything in it, deciding to blame God because surely this is his fault. But like it says in the book of Lamentations, why should any living mortal say, or any man, offer a complaint in view of his sin? Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. Let's not complain to God because of our sin, but let's return to God. And so there, now we come to this uh, place where we have the center key. We have confession and prayer. I acknowledge my sins to you. I did not cover my iniquity. See, when God covered it, it's a blessing. When I covered it, it's a curse, right? Because I uncovered in humility toward God that he may properly deal with it and that he may forgive it not count it and cover it. But if I try that on my own, I've just added more iniquity to iniquity. No, I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to, to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Like in the New Testament, what happened when the man went to the temple and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what happened when a man went down to the temple and prayed, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that dude. Right, And so, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer up prayers to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they'll not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Well, that's what we want. We get out from under that press and weight of sin When the floods come, they don't reach us. We're hidden, we're preserved, we're surrounded by goodness, and we're surrounded by deliverance. Why? Because we went to God in the right way. In the New Testament, this is writing to people who are all under the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we find this process in this way. It says, talking about the flood of waters that destroyed the world, corresponding to that, 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism now saves you. And here's the connection to this directly. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we make an appeal to God for a good conscience. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, save me. Where do we make that appeal best and most effectively? Where do we do that in the gospel? It's in baptism. And what's that powered by? the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, we make our confession of Him. We make our confession to Him. We seek forgiveness. We look for the cleansing of the conscience and the new start. And as sin comes back, we just keep on confessing. And what happens when, though we've been promised to have been forgiven, it still creeps back up into our mind. Well, take it to Him again. You're going to remember that forgiven sin 
more and worse than he is. But there's no harm in mentioning it toward him again. Going back to Psalm 25 this time. Psalm 25. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or of my, or my transgression. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I wonder how many times David prayed, remember not the sins of my youth. How many times have you prayed that? You know, some of these things, they just keep coming up. What do we do with them? Well, just pray again. Yeah, I know he, he said he'd cover it. He said he'd forget it. He said he, he would not count it, but it still bothers me. I'll pray again. What's the harm? What should you do with all your cares? Take them to him. And so sometimes people worry about, could God really forgive me? Yes. <laughs> and he's promised it. But that doesn't mean we always forgive ourselves and immediately... Uh, uh, it doesn't have any effect upon us, these things that weighed on us for so long. And maybe sometimes about these sins of youth, we didn't even realize them until we were old. I mean, I had so much other stuff going on that I did remember, and I took care of that, and then, oh, I did that too. Okay, well, remember not the sins of my youth. But keep praying and keep confessing. As it says in verse 11 of this same Psalm 25, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Oh, I got so much sin. He couldn't cover all of it. He couldn't, he wouldn't, only remember some of it. Again, once you've taken it to him through Jesus Christ, you're going to remember it more uh, dreadfully than he is. But pray again. Pray for pardon for your great iniquity. That'll be good for you be an act of faith for you to cast that upon him but don't worry he'll take care of it all of it verse 18 psalm 25 look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sin yeah the sins of your youth your great iniquity all of your sin what do we do again verse 6 the key center of the psalm Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. When sin crops up afresh, or when the conscience bothers you anew about something you thought was finished and done and put to bed, go ahead, pray again. Take it back to God. He will take care of it, and I don't think He minds. He's asked you to turn to Him. When you do that, you can receive the instruction. The intends for you in your life. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Alright, you've been on the path of sin. We're going to get you off it. We're going to teach you a better way. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule. Without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. Or it will not stay near. Yeah, don't, don't be a dumb animal here. I sometimes want to be in a church where we sing that verse of the song. I want the congregation to sing about, let us not be a horse or a mule. We, 
We don't have anything like that in our hymnal, do we? That's one of the reasons why looking to the Psalms and singing them is such a, a wonderful thing for us because we have things we otherwise, we just would not say that. Speaking of things you don't say and maybe you wouldn't say, my grandfather, talked about grandfathers in Bible class this morning. I'll talk about a different grandfather now, just very briefly. But my, my mother's name was Burroughs. Of course, my father's name was Horsley. My, my grand, you can see where this is going. My grandfather did a little bit of name equivocation and he, he told my mom, both his, she was engaged and then later when she was expecting, expecting me and my sister, this applies more to her than me, but um, he, he told my mom, he said, you know what happens when you cross a horse and a burrow, right? Just to make sure she knew what she did. He went in, you get a mule. And my grandpa, he must have thought that was quite funny. He told my mother that for years. She did not appreciate that. I'm just glad he wasn't some kind of Old Testament patriarch handing out blessings and cursings for the next generation of children. But in any case, no, we don't like to, we don't like to be compared to donkeys, do we? We don't like to be compared to horses and mules in these negative ways. We don't like it at all. But what does inspiration say you're like if you won't listen to God? Stubborn mules. Untamed horses. You know, untamed horses are beautiful things to watch in high-definition video and to see upon beautiful big pictures and calendars on the wall. But they're a horrible thing to live with. They're a worse thing to have to tend to, right? You don't want untamed horses around. You know, you, you want to just enjoy that strength and beauty from afar. Let that be in your fantasy world of film and picture. Don't be that in real life. Because verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Why? Because as it says in Isaiah 5, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. There's a passage for today. Woe to those wise in their own eye and clever in their own sight. But instead, steadfast love, verse 10, surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you of upright heart. Yes. As the psalm began, how blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And he does this in truth and sincerity and humility. Verse 2 concludes, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That is the song we need to know of forgiveness. Well, that will conclude. Offering you the invitation to you need to come to the Lord in His way with that appeal to God for a good conscience through baptism in the name of Christ, confessing the Savior, the one who saves you from these sins, the one who bore these sins for you so you didn't have to. You can escape its power and you can escape its punishment. If you need to come to the invitation confessing Him or confessing sin to return, we now stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. 
Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.